0: Welcome to The Tech That Connects Us, a podcast dedicated to the stories of leaders in the technology industries that bring us closer together, specifically content and media, satellite and news space, connectivity, and cybersecurity. Your hosts are me, John Clifton, Laurie Scott, and Will Trenchard, the founders of Nuco, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm focused on these exact industries. We love being a part of them, and we're excited to share these stories with you. Welcome to The Tech That Connects Us. Your host today, Amiton Wilding, alongside Alistair Wilson. We're both consultants in our satellite and new space groups here at NUCO, and we are delighted to be joined today by Scott Herman. Scott spent most of his career developing and deploying remote sensing, imagery analysis, sensor fusion, knowledge management, and geographic information systems for national security communities. Um, Before... Becoming the CEO of Cognitive Space, his current role. Scott was CTO at Black Sky, a satellite analytics company that recently IPO'd. Um, as the latest new space unicorn, Scott, is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Very good. And before that, he was responsible for products and platform at Maxar. Um, he's also an advisor for the space community, um, some investment portfolio. So, so Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. So, to get the story started, we like to go back to the beginning. How and why did you get into this great new space industry?
1: Well, you know, I I actually spent probably the first half of my career um, working uh, in the remote sensing and geospatial analytics world, uh, but primarily, you know, kind of hidden in the national security community, what you might call the black world. Um, So, I've been doing this for a long time, really, you know, since getting out of school. Uh, I've been in this uh, constantly repeating loop of build systems uh, for, you know, either running satellites or exploiting the data coming from satellites, applying that to uh, global monitoring and national security problems, uh, build a little, field a little, uh, go out and uh, support those systems, and then come back and do it all over again and build the next generation. So that's been a pretty consistent pattern. You know, uh, after you know, spending probably the the first 15 years or so working in the national security community, I made the leap into the commercial world. Uh, But again, kind of looking back at the national security mission. uh, So that's when I joined GOI uh, in the the days of GOI and Digital Globe before they, uh, you know, were merged together into what eventually became Maxar. Um, So I I worked there for several years. um, And then we, uh, uh, several of us kind of jumped and started a new company, um, that was eventually acquired by Spaceflight and uh, became okay. Black Sky. All right. So I was part of the, uh, the spaceflight industry's umbrella, you know, with the launch business, mm-hmm. satellite remote sensing business with Black Sky, uh, the uh, assembly business with Leo Stella. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. And I worked there for probably about eight years um, until the uh, right, right around the time of the, the SPAC, the IPO uh, with Black Sky. Um, But I continued to kind of really be interested in this problem of how to apply artificial intelligence to satellite operations. And uh, I had been through Techstars uh, advising a small company that was starting to really uh, make some inroads into this particular problem and uh, became part of their advisory board. And then they eventually invited me in uh, to help lead the company to success and go through fundraising and help get the product built and everything else. Uh, so I came on as the CEO of cognitive space a little over a year ago.
0: Brilliant. And, and what was it specifically about AI and its functionality in this industry that, that was so appealing to you?
1: Well, the, the the big question was, you know, traditionally satellite remote sensing has been done by a handful of really large, expensive satellites. Uh, satellites that took many years to develop, took literally hundreds of people to uh, you know, to build and operate. Um and what we're moving to now in the world of small Sats is the ability to build constellations that have many, many, many satellites in them. Uh, the other thing we're seeing is a move from kind of traditional mapping missions into what are called monitoring missions. You know, uh, which could potentially be near real time and are about persistence and revisit and the ability to kind of stare at a target, you know, over time and determine what's called pattern of life. So all those things are are adding. Uh, just a magnitude of complication to how you tell the satellites what to do, because these satellites are are essentially intelligent machines They're essentially robots. You task them, you tell them what to do. Look over here, take this observation, now slew to this place, take this observation, now downlink this data. It's almost like code. You give them a schedule of activities. Traditionally, that was done either through manual intervention, literally people putting those schedules together, or wow. through some fairly cr- cr- uh, crude heuristic methods, you know some expert rules. what if we're really going to scale constellations to be you know dozens, hundreds, even thousands of satellites operating against tens of thousands of targets on the ground that all have these revisit requirements, go collect them multiple mm-hmm. times per day. you know the ability for the the old systems and the old methods to do that just we're being completely overwhelmed. and AI, yes. particularly in the realm of reinforcement learning, uh, offers an opportunity to build these massive autonomous brains uh, that are basically controlling um, all of these different satellites and coordinating all of these activities.
0: Fascinating way to kick things off. Um, I'm going to pass you over to my colleague Alistair, who's going to jump into
2: the past. Sure. Fantastic. Cheers, Tom. I'm um, so, um, Scott, uh, one thing I was keen to kick off with was who or what has been the biggest influence on you during your career?
1: So I think that the biggest thing that, that's been important to me is that while I'm a, you know, while I am a technical geek, while I'm a bits and bytes kind of a guy, uh, for me, it's always been more important what you're going to do with the technology. So the, the influence for me has been what what is, I guess, what you might call the mission, right? What are you trying to do? Um, yeah, it's it's complicated. It's rocket science, it's satellites, it's artificial intelligence, it's lots of uh, you know, coding and software development. But what we're really trying to do is economic monitoring, environmental monitoring, national security monitoring. And so that's always been the kind of the biggest influence for me has been this idea of, you know, what can you do with the technology? How do you apply the technology, not just the value of the, the bits and bytes themselves?
2: OK, fantastic. Um, and throughout the career, then, what, what do you see as being a pivotal moment for you if there's any that you can pick out?
1: Um, I think that, you know, as much as I enjoyed kind of working, you know, within the national security community, the the leap out to the commercial side was really important because what happened then is that opened up the opportunity for rapid iteration and innovation. Um, You know, for all of my love of the traditional national security community, uh, things move slow and it tends to be the world of very large, you know, defense and aerospace contractors. And by moving into the commercial world, uh, the ability to, to drive innovation much, much faster, to take advantage of a Silicon Valley you know, lifestyle uh, in terms of agile development and uh, you know, new software uh, capabilities and techniques uh, was really, really important. And uh, you know, I think that, that marriage of what's happening in the, the commercial world where things can move very, very quickly, uh, can innovate very, very fast, uh, can be done more cost effectively, uh, but then apply toward traditional missions of uh, national security and economic monitoring is, is really exciting.
2: Okay, great. Um, and then I suppose looking back throughout your career at the, the different tech that you've worked with and that's come and gone, are there any technologies that you think that got a bit overlooked that kind of popped up and then disappeared a little bit quickly?
1: Um, it, it's a good question. Um, I think that you know the, the real test of the technology um, is does anybody want to pay for it, right? I mean, not to be ruthless or mercenary about it. I think there's a lot of good ideas. Now, sometimes those good ideas just didn't have the right team behind them in terms of finding a business model that worked. Um, but a lot of times, technolo- and, and I'm a, again, I'm a technology geek. I really like cool new ideas. But many times there's technology that's kind of looking for a solution, right? It's, it's an answer looking for a solution. Um, so I think it's it's really important to, to look at technology from that perspective, right? What problem are you solving with it rather than just the, the coolness for technology's sake? Um, you know, I think the, the battlefield is kind of you know, littered with uh, you know, discarded technologies that just didn't find an audience. Um, now, some of that you know, may have been valuable, but in general, uh, one of the reasons I like the startup community so much is it is the acid test, right? You know, you can have a good idea, but if you can't find use cases and customers and revenue associated with that, then you're going to peter out and die pretty quickly, right? It's the, it's the ultimate test, right? The technology may be cool, but does anybody want?
2: Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. And then perhaps going over slightly the other side of the coin is um, what do you think... Uh... What technology do you think has has had the biggest impact on the industry?
1: Well, certainly, uh, when we talk about the new space industry, there's a couple trends that have really driven what's happened there. Um, You know, the first one is the satellites themselves. Uh, It used to be that building a satellite uh, was a national endeavor, right? In fact, the first satellites were only national programs, and then even as you had commercial entities they still tended to be billion dollar programs, right? You might spend seven to 15 years of engineering uh, to get them built and deployed. Uh, you might spend you know, 500 million or more on a satellite just in terms of getting the satellite built. Then you've got to build out your ground architecture. Uh, then you've got to pay your launch costs. You might be a billion dollars in before you made your first penny. I think a couple of things have happened in terms of revolutions that really define what new space means. Uh, the first is the ability to use commercial components and standardized buses um, and be able to build things on a essentially a college lab bench rather than a big clean room where everybody's wearing bunny suits. Uh, that was a huge difference. The ability to build nano satellites and CubeSats and small sats at a much more affordable rate was a, was a big difference. But you still got to get them to space. So the other revolution that kind of opened up new space uh, was this concept of ride sharing um, where you can piggyback You know, for a fraction of the cost, big satellite pays most of the freight. You find some room to tuck in on the ride, and uh, hopefully it drops you in the right place, but you can do that for a fraction of the launch cost. Uh, You're also seeing the proliferation of launch providers, right? Not only, you know, the, the rise of SpaceX, but many, many other launch providers out there now are driving prices down and providing more capacity. So, those were two things that were really important. I think the third thing was the uh, that, that's really impacted yeah. the, the new space industry is uh, what's happening in terms of communications revolutions. So you've got companies that are providing ground uh, stations, ground communications as a service. You have many more ground stations you can take advantage of. And for, for remote sensing satellites, that was a really important technological revolution. I think the fourth revolution that we're seeing right now that's really important is the one that cognitive space is involved in, and that is... How do we modernize what's required on the ground to be able to monetize these satellites uh, and really uh, capture and exploit the data for useful purposes? And so this idea of of what we're doing using AI for mission management, collection planning, uh, order management, scheduling, uh, even comms link coordination uh, is kind of the next wave of technological revolution that's happening in space.
2: Fantastic, fantastic! No, thank you so much for for giving that answer. Um, I think that that last point you made um brings us quite nicely into the present. So I'm going to hand you back to Tom um to find out a bit more about that. Sure, definitely. I'm going to kick things off with a difficult question
0: for you, Scott. So be prepared. Um, uh-huh. there are lots of uh big Leo constellations out there: Kuiper, Starlink, OneWeb. Tell us that, Espace. The list goes on. Uh, which one are you most excited by?
1: Oh, that—that's a good question. Um, so, certainly, what Amazon is doing and what SpaceX is doing um, in terms of providing broadband internet to the ground uh, is super, super exciting, right? Not only the ability to reach into more disadvantaged communities, but you know, the the question of of what do you do in more remote areas has always been a challenge, right? You know, how many bars do I have in the middle of nowhere? And uh, obviously, when you're talking about national security use cases or Economic monitoring use case those that are global in nature uh, that has I think you know a tremendous opportunity um, the the other you know kind of area I'm interested in terms of you know kind of mega constellations is what's happening in terms of remote sensing and space based relay now those constellations aren't as big as what you're seeing with you know what what, what Starlink and, and Amazon are doing but you are seeing a move toward having constellations that will be dozens if not hundreds of satellites. Um, So I think there's a lot of interesting things happening outside of what you might call the mega constellations. Um, You know, it remains to be seen uh, who wins or is there enough room for everybody? You know, what's the role of one web? Um, Do they get, do they get to be a third player? You know, if you think about uh, cell phones, right, we have multiple carriers, uh, but there's also been a lot of consolidation. And, uh, you know, I, I think, what happens with those networks? I think there's a lot of demand. I think there's a lot of capacity. I don't think it's a question of, you know, only one will win. Um, but you'll see a market shakeout that says who's the leader, you know, who's the next follower, and then who's the pack of, uh, you know, smaller companies that are are nipping at their heels. And then where does innovation come from? Um, but yeah, certainly things like Starlink are pretty exciting, uh, especially when you're seeing. Um, how quickly some of that support can be deployed. For example, what's happening in Ukraine with Starlink is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, okay, Musk, Bezos, Weiler, they're making all the noise and getting lots of the plaudits. What business in the new space industry do you think are doing the right things some really exciting things that maybe have slipped slightly under the radar?
1: Well, I, I think you know so much of the focus uh, tends to be on the satellites, right? And sometimes it's even on the launches and everybody forgets that we're going up for a reason, <laughs> right? It's like, wow, that was really cool. You returned a booster to earth and you know. And, and don't get me wrong, it's super cool. But the whole point is to get payloads on orbit that can do other work. And so I think one of the exciting things that often gets overlooked is what's happening in the geospatial analytics arena, uh, the ability to have companies and techniques and methods to take data from satellites across a whole range of different observational capabilities, what we call phenomenologies. So is it synthetic aperture radar? Is it electro-optical? Is it multispectral or hyperspectral? Is it radio frequency? You know, there's a lot of different ways to, to take observations of the earth. You know, what we do in space uh, helps us down here on the earth. And I, I think, A lot of times there's so much focus on the what you might call the glamour of space launch um, that we often forget that the whole reason we're going up there is to be able to use this data uh, for other reasons. So I I would say I I wouldn't say it's overlooked. I do think it gets lost in the conversation, especially when you talk about some of the media coverage, that what's what these satellites are allowing us to do is high fidelity economic monitoring, environmental monitoring and national security monitoring. Um, at a cadence and a level of transparency that we haven't seen before. Now, you're starting to get hints of that as there's more and more kind of mainstream coverage of satellite observations and their role in, in figuring out what's going on on the Earth. Uh, certainly, things like Ukraine or wildfires um, are, are getting much more public attention. Uh, people are getting much more comfortable with location-based services, you know, whether yeah. it's their car or or cell phone navigation, or, you know, looking at their house on a satellite image. Uh, So there's a a much bigger comfort level. But yeah, I I think part of what's being overlooked is there's a whole range of new space businesses, which are about what you do with the data and what kind of problems you can solve by having that satellite data. Um, You know, it may not be quite as cool as a rocket blowing up on the pad, but it's probably way more important.
0: True, true, true. Watching those launches land back to Earth is quite something, but there's a lot, a lot more to it than that, um, which is really clearly articulated there. And um, right now, what do you see as being the biggest barriers or challenges to success in the new space market?
1: Well, I mean, there's certainly some macro conditions, like what's happening with capital, and you know, what what are the larger economic sure. conditions, and will that put a uh, a damper on some of the innovation that's happening? Um, so that's certainly something we watch out for. Uh, there's some, you know, legislative challenges around how do you get capabilities licensed, and you know, what is that like in the U.S. versus other countries? I think that's an that can that's an issue you can talk about for quite a while. Um, but you know, probably the, the the biggest challenge that we're dealing in new space, believe it or not, is talent acquisition. Right. That right now, while there's a lot of really smart people in the industry, one of the biggest drains I hear about across not only startups but established space companies is just how much, how hard it is to get the right people in the right seats, and how much thrash there is with people, you know, moving all over the place. What that does to things like uh, salaries and compensation packages. Um, I know that sounds really weird when we're talking about a, you know, a, a very technical space and What's really cool about, you know, Earth monitoring, but to get companies built, you have to have the right talent. And uh, that that has been that that is a pretty big challenge for us. Um, there's some technical challenges. You know, you'll hear about things like space situational awareness and what's going on with space junk. And, you know, are we looking at a looming problem there? Um, I don't have the quite the same level of panic that some people do when they talk about space junk and you know, the Kessler effect, right, the the, the ping pong chain reaction that closes low, low Earth orbit to us, space is a really big place. There's a lot of room out there. The problem is things are moving at Mach 25. So when they tend to hit, they do a lot of uh, damage. Um, right. The other thing about space is it's not equally distributed. Satellites tend to be clustered um, in favored orbits. And so it's almost like a NASCAR race, right? You're sitting in the stands and it's quiet for two minutes and suddenly 40 cars go roaring by, you know, the orbits are the same way. Uh, There's not an equal distribution. Um, Now, like most highways, they tend to all be driving in the same direction um, in general. Um, But, you know, the the issue of space junk and how crowded space gets, again, I don't think it's a panic issue, but it is something that is potentially going to be more and more of a challenge for the new space industry.
0: And arguably, those technical challenges are solved by having the right people in situ to address them.
1: Yeah, hopefully, and, and applying a lot more techniques, right? The, the biggest problem yeah. about, you know, kind of cleaning up space and managing space is it's a problem everybody has, but nobody owns, you know? And so for companies to ante up money to fix this problem, you know, it is really hard to do. Right. It's like, you know, littering on the highways, right? Like nobody wants it, but who's going to stop their car and get out and clean it up, right? It's like we should have a service for that. And I think that's part of the challenge. You know, is there an international body? Is there legislation? Is there government funding to to facilitate new companies to kind of, you know, focus on, on cleaning up the junk? A lot of the focus right now is around just understanding what the landscape looks like. And, and you'll hear yes. concepts like space situational awareness, SSA, or space domain awareness, SDA. Uh, you'll even start hearing about things like space traffic management. Uh, but in general, most of the money right now is going into, let's make sure we have an understanding of what's out there. There's not a whole lot of money being spent on, you know, how do we manage the space and how do we clean it up if we need to? Uh, there, there is goodness there. You know, A lot of the low earth orbit satellites Um, If you just leave them alone, their orbit deteriorates in a few years and they go away and the problem kind of solves itself. Um, But when you get into some of the higher orbits, um, that's where some of the concerns are around long term clutter. Um, Plus, there's just a lot of stuff flying around up there.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Really insightful. And thank you.
2: I'm going to pass you over to Alistair, who's going to look to the future. Sure. Fantastic. Um, So, Scott, where do you see the industry going in coming years?
1: Well, I think there's a couple trends that are really important, and, and again, my focus is more on the uh, the Earth observation and remote sensing world um, as opposed to just satellites in general. Um, but some important trends that are going on right now: one is the the move from what you might call traditional mapping missions, right? You know, paint the Earth, uh, get an understanding that feeds into location services products and mapping products. You know, navigation instructions on your phone, for example. Um, and and moving into what's called monitoring, and you know to do monitoring, um, you've got to be able to see a lot of different places, but you have to be able to do it at a high cadence, and that's really the challenge, right? It's the it's the cadence, it's the the revisit that drives monitoring. If you're able to observe a place often enough, you can establish what's called a pattern of life, and a pattern of life is. You know is this facility open 24-7? Is the staff only there from nine to five? You know, is Fridays the day that all the trucks move? Right? It's establishing those signatures that give you better understanding of what that facility is about. You know, when do they load the nuclear reactor? Um, so you've got to be able to you know, hit that, hit that target, right? Take an observation um, at a high cadence. Um, So that's a really important trend right now that's going on, is this move to kind of monitoring models. And and we're monitoring across lots of phenomenology. Uh, We're monitoring at lots of different resolutions. We're monitoring at lots of different cadences. But I think in the future, that's one of the most important trends that's going on right now. And it's driving a lot of the investment and a lot of the proliferation of satellites that are out there. Uh, Obviously, communications, massive trend, Uh, not only in terms of you know, the big broadband service mega constellations, <laughs> uh, but also space-based relay, uh, the ability for satellites to, um, <clears throat> to talk to each other. So you've got commercial entities, uh, new companies like uh, Hedron and Spacelink and Workspace and Skyloom. Uh, you've got a number of government initiatives uh, with the U.S. and its allies around um, creating these space-based relay networks. I think that's a really important trend to keep an eye on. Uh, It's still very, very early. A lot of the technology is still being tested out like uh, optical links between satellites. Um, But that's potentially a big game changer in the satellite industry as well as space-based relay comes online combined with a massive proliferation in ground station networks.
2: And, And where do you see cognitive space entering into that picture?
1: Well, so what cognitive space does is it really helps organizations fly their satellites. So if you're trying to build out a constellation, uh, you've got to figure out how you're going to task and control those satellites and have those satellites communicate, uh, both in terms of giving them their instructions and then bringing that data back down to the ground where we can take advantage of it. Um, so our focus is really on uh, being an enabler, uh, you know, being a tools provider or some would say an arms merchant you know, to the new space economy. So companies that are either flying satellites already and want to optimize what they're doing um, or, uh, you know, companies or organizations that want to fly new constellations and have to build out that ground architecture, you know, we give them a shortcut. We give them basically a blueprint and an operational capability uh, that reduces kind of the schedule risk, the technical risk, the the financial risk, um, and shortens the timeline uh, to be able to get uh, you know the satellites into orbit, and uh, either generating revenue or observations, or you know whatever the goal of that that particular uh, company or organization is.
2: Gotcha, fantastic.
1: Um, we've spoken quite a lot about tech
2: and the industry. So something that I was keen to know is maybe something about yourself. Um, so have you got any personal goals that you hope to achieve within the next twelve months or so?
1: Um, well, I mean. I'm at a startup, so my personal goals are pretty interwoven with the company. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I would certainly like to see uh, what we're doing at Cognitive Space enable lots of other satellite organizations to kind of get off the ground. And not just literally get off the ground, but get off the ground as businesses, right? That's that's a huge objective for me. So I think as, you know, as we kind of move through our startup phase and into our scale-up phases of business, A lot of that success and a lot of my own kind of personal ambition is really tied up in, you know, do we move the needle in terms of the larger space economy? Uh, I I think for myself, a lot of my motivation um, has always been about moving the domain, moving the industry, moving the mission forward. And I've done that at different companies and by supporting different organizations. But it's always been about kind of advancing not only the state of the art technologically, but in the kinds of things we can do you know I'm, I'm very very interested in the idea of global transparency uh holding you know organizations and nations accountable by having transparent information um and remote sensing from space helps do that a lot of my goals over the next 12 months is to build a set of services with cognitive space uh that really enables a lot of these companies and helps us be successful as a company as well
2: fantastic fantastic well thank Thank you so much for giving us all your insights on things past, present and future. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass you back to Tom to talk about a topic that we think is very important to address, um, and that is diversity. Sure. Thanks, Alistair. Um, Scott, from your
0: experience today in the satellite and new space and national security industries, what have your views on diversity been? What have you seen in terms of diversity?
1: Yeah, not nearly enough. (laughs) I mean, just not nearly enough. And, you know, it's challenging, uh, you know, being at a small company where we're trying to hire the absolute best talent and move as quickly as possible while still looking at things like diversity goals. You know, we, we unfortunately have to deal with the environment we're in, right? So we're hiring, you know, primarily. U.S. citizens, preferably security clearances with experience in artificial intelligence and aerospace engineering um, and some pretty deep software development. And that means we're dealing with a lot of the historical trends in terms of what does that opportunity pool look like? Um, And it's not good, right? It's not a very diverse pool. There's a lot of really smart people. I wouldn't call it necessarily a really diverse group, especially when you start putting some of these filters on around some of the the qualifications that, that we need. Having said that, you know, we're really trying our best to make sure that we are looking for a diverse workforce as possible. We spent last week in an event called uh, Women in Technology in Houston uh, doing some. Really there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the the range of life experience, the range of problem solving, uh, the, the just the, the having different eyes on a problem and not having groupthink uh, is a really important reason to focus on diversity. I think within our particular environment, which is this, you know, combination of space and uh, artificial intelligence and software engineering, it's a real, real challenge. Um, you know, I would I would love to hire a more diverse workforce, but you look at the resumes that come in and that's what you have to choose from. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it fit into, you know, a 95% category um, as opposed to having a big diverse mix. You, you kind of have to work with what you can get. So, I I know it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, right? Diversity is important, but it's really hard to get to. Um, But that's the reality of the situation that we're dealing with. Whenever we can, we look for opportunities to diversify our workforce and diversify the space industry in general. Uh, But it's challenging because of the historical trends of where most of the talent has come from. Definitely. And and yeah, something as well, we're Totally mindful of
0: and, and passionate about. You mentioned something there interesting about the Women in Tech event, which is a really tangible, positive action to reflect change. What other ideas and things have you seen across the industry or implementing yourself that that could contribute to a, a better, diverse, more diverse businesses?
1: Well, you know, it, it, again, I'm I'm at a a startup right now, so there are some. Uh, some particular limitations on how do you of grow over time, right? It's it's much harder for us to make a five or ten year investment. Um, but at larger companies I've worked at, things like uh, associating yourself with particular universities um, to feed a pipeline of junior people in uh, gives you access to greater diversity. Um, you know those pipelines are certainly more diverse at the junior levels than they are at the senior levels. Um, Just making sure that that is an explicit recruiting and retention goal, that diversity is important to the company um, and understanding that diversity takes on lots of different, uh, you know, uh, kind of shapes as well. Um, You know, there there can be a a, a very wide range of how you define diversity, I think, is really important. Um, Diversity can be particular, you know, classes of people, the way people traditionally think about it diversity can also be things around life experience and work experience you know does everybody have to be a phd you know in rocket science or aerospace engineering right or can you take a chance on people that may be coming in you know with a different life experience or a different academic experience um, you know that, that's another way to bring diversity into the into the workforce uh, but it, I will say it's not impossible at a startup, but remember, when you're recruiting for a startup, it's a specialty sports team, right? You know, you you, you are <laughs> trying to buy experience that moves the company forward at the same time that you're trying to, uh, you know, optimize for diversity as much as possible. I think larger companies that can generate pipelines uh, and grow, uh, you know, employees over time get access to a, a broader diversity pipeline. Um, and as I kind of hinted at, because we're doing a lot of work in the national security environment, that dramatically reduces the, the the diversity of the candidates that we see that can still meet those qualifications. Yeah, and that, that's, right. been, that's been an in, not an, only an industry problem, it's been a US government and an allied problem for a long time. You get yeah. inside that kind of national security community and there's some diversity, but it's not nearly enough.
0: There's a regulatory limitation.
1: Well, the, 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 regulatory, the regulatory limit is not so much on the diversity, um, but what it means is that when you're trying to hire, you, you can't broaden your, your lens as much as you would like, right? You, you can't bring in, a lot, for example, you know people that aren't U.S. citizens, right, which would give you access to a much more diverse pool. Um, you, you may not be able to do that, right? You may be dealing with the historical trends of what is hiring look like over the last 20 years? And because you're trying to hire people that already have those qualifications, that limits your ability in some cases. Now, having said that, where there are opportunities to hire a diverse workforce, even within those constraints, we absolutely go for it. It's a really important objective for us. Yeah, great. Okay,
0: last question on this this important topic and a a brief yes-no question. Have you seen change across your time in the industry for the better?
1: Oh, yes, without a doubt.
0: Great. Good. That's a, a good positive note to, to end on, for sure. We're now going to jump into a, a bit of fun with a pinch of salt. Um, I'm
2: going to pass you over to Alistair to describe your perfect weekend. Oh, Cheers. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So, Scott, one, one thing that we, we, we do know our listeners would love to know is a bit more about you and, and what you do perhaps outside of work. So perfect weekend. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So outside of work, that, that's the hard part, but <laughs> I, I definitely uh, have some work-life balance issues, but but that's okay. No, I, I would say, uh, you know, I really enjoy uh, being outside, whether it's hiking or mountain biking, um, exploring around. Uh, I love spending time in the mountains. I, I joke about having to get my mountain fix every few weeks. You know, I start getting cranky if I haven't spent some time uh, out in the mountains. I do travel a lot for my job. And so a lot of times I'll wrap a weekend um, and use that as an opportunity to explore uh, areas I travel to. Um, I also go to a lot of places frequently, right? Like Colorado and Silicon Valley and the Pacific Northwest. So I've got favorite haunts there up in the mountains and favorite hikes that I try to take advantage of. Uh, So yeah, my my perfect weekend usually involves um, getting outside as much as possible predominantly hiking and
2: mountain biking fantastic fantastic well
1: we're going to stick on the the topic of you
2: and and what you like to do and i'm going to pass you over to tom and he's going to go through a, a quick fire round of you <laughs> all right i'll do my fire back. questions here scott um
0: glass of fizz or pint of beer oh a pint of beer easy one good choice
1: burger or pizza
0: i'm sorry burger or pizza Oh, pizza! <laughs> are you texting a friend or are you calling a friend?
1: Uh, almost always texting. Believe it or not, I'm I'm more of an introvert, and having to talk to people on the phone just seems archaic.
0: <laughs> oh, we differ on that. I might have some problems.
1: Um, <laughs> are you going to read a book or watch? You know, I I would you know historically I would say read a book. I've always been a heavy reader. Uh, but man, there's just so much good peak drama TV out there right now. But it's, mm. it's hard to keep up on it. Um, I get sucked into good dramatic series on, on television. And uh, so I would say right now, I would probably do that instead. Save the well, eyesight would- since I'm on the computer so much. Mm, true, true. <laughs>
0: what What would you recommend someone watches next?
1: Well, right now, I'm spending some time uh, on the HBO series, We Own This City, which is kind of sort of a sequel to The Wire, which is one of the greatest shows ever created. Agreed. Uh, a lot about the, uh, the the problems with policing in Baltimore, which is you know near where I live. So I have been through some of those neighborhoods. It it's, strikes a familiar tone, uh, although it's certainly not a life that I live on a daily basis. Um, but I've been working my way through that one right now. I will we'll have a look because i greatly enjoyed the wire
0: um okay and final question um coming from a foodie it's a quite important one we know about you what would your death row meal be
1: i'm sorry what would i
0: what would your death row meal be your last meal you could have on the planet before uh, oh. getting the chop
1: oh it's, it's got to be a lasagna i, I think that um you know, lasagna is the, the test of character of an Italian restaurant. Everybody makes it slightly different and it's a good uh, benchmark, you know, meal. And uh, when it's done right, it's phenomenal.
0: Very solid answer. Um, I'm going to pass you over to alistair for our final question.
2: Yep, so last question, Scott. What What's the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody entering the industry?
1: Yeah, I, I think that... You know, if, if you want to play in space or you want to play in artificial intelligence, you know, I can rack and stack a lot of academic and work qualifications. But I think actually the most important thing to understand is what I was hinting at earlier. And that is why are you doing it? What's the mission? What problem are you trying to solve? Um, you know, how are you applying the technology uh, is really important. Uh, it's, it's fine to be in love with the technology. Uh, or are fine to be in love with the mathematics. Um, but the question is, what are you doing to make the world a better place? And what problem are you trying to solve? Um, now, not only will that lead to you know, business success, uh, but I, I think it gives a lot of purpose uh, to what we're doing. Um, so that, that would be my biggest advice, is, is figure out what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Do you have a passion for that problem? And then you can think about how you apply technology and uh, business acumen uh, to solving that particular problem. Definitely
0: great. Scott, thank you so much for having you on the podcast today. We really enjoyed hearing your thoughts, feelings, um, and insights into the space and satellite industries. So thank you. All right, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.meuco-group.com. You've been listening to The Tech That Connects Us.